every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be holy. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. During our whole uh, we call it a courtship now because we're married. But while we were dating, uh, there, I had this really weird little rule that um, I wouldn't allow us to talk marriage talk. Like for two and a half years, we didn't whisper the word marriage to each other. And it got really awkward sometimes. Like we'd be talking and I'd be like, well, someday when I marry the person that whoever it is that I might marry, I would really like to live in so-and-so, you know. And so we, the, the conversations would get awkward. But, but we, I, I just had this, I just didn't want to do it. I wanted to kind of try to protect our hearts. And, and so we didn't even whisper the word marriage during our two and a half years. And then we got engaged and from the moment we got engaged, it was like the floodgates opened because now Amy could talk marriage talk. And so that is all we, of course, that's all we talked about the whole, all the time was we talked about being married, what it's going to be like when you get married. And, and so those were the conversations that we had. And, uh, and I remember one specifically, and I'm going to share this, and I've told her I'm going to share it because it might be embarrassing. I don't know. And uh, I think it's funny. I hope you do too. I hope this is a story that I remember the rest of my life. I think it is. I remember one time we were, we were uh, driving in the car and we were talking and, and, you know, we had been talking about getting married and the idea of, you know, the, the, in Ephesians it says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and laying his, his life down for her. And Amy really grasped this idea, I think. She really enjoyed it. And, and I remember her just making this statement to me uh, in this really, like, eager, anticipation, happy statement. She looked at me and she was like, man, Dan, are you ready to get married? And I was just like, oh, that's so good. And then right after that, she followed it up with, are you ready to die? <laughs> and I didn't really know how to respond to that question. Actually, I did know exactly how to respond. I was terrified. I'm not going to lie. My first thought was the movie, you know, So I Married an Axe Murderer. I was like, I was like, uh, uh, uh. And so we kind of got over the awkward moment where she just asked me if I was ready to die, and we laughed about it, and we kept talking. But as I think about that story, I, I love that story because it's so much, uh, it's, it's, there's so much truth in that question. There's so much truth in, in what the scripture says of that if, when, you know, the husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. And, and I think what Amy was doing, she didn't think through it, I'm pretty sure. But what she was doing was she, she set it up with a question of, of happiness and fun and are you ready to get married? But then she brought the, the scripture of, of what, you know, what that actually means. And, and I think that Jesus does that. Uh, if you want to open your Bible, go ahead turn to Luke. We're going to go to Luke chapter 14. And I just want to read a story where, where Jesus does this. I feel like it's the exact same thing almost. And Luke 14, we're going to start in verse 25. It says this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
I just want to look at that moment for a little bit. Let's expand. Let's pull out. Let, let, I, I want to look at that moment from the disciples' standpoint. Like, what are the disciples thinking here, okay? So here's what's happening. Jesus is going about his life, and he started his ministry. Jesus kind of starts to become a little bit of a pop star in, in his land, right? I mean, he's, he's the new hot preacher, and he's, got, he's, he's doing miracles, and he's, you know, he's, he's the prophet. And so every, people are kind of starting to come out, and, like, they really want to find out more about him and see what he's doing. And, and so, you know... They go out, and Jesus goes outside of the town, and, and this huge crowd gathers. And the, I can just see, I can imagine the, the disciples coming to him, and, you know, like Bartholomew comes up to him, and he's like, okay, Jesus, here's what's going to happen tonight. I don't know why I kind of picture Bartholomew like the producer of the event. He's kind of the Justin Steinhardt of the disciples. And uh, he was like, okay, Jesus, here's what's going to happen. We got lots of people coming. This is a, this is a great opportunity for us. And so... Um, I think we have so many people. I think we can, like, we can double our numbers tonight. Just if, if you deliver an awesome sermon, then, then man, we're going to have so many people following you. This is, this is a great moment. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with just a rocking big song. I mean, it's going to be light, smoke. It's going to be, we're going to really get them in. They're going to get excited. And then you're going to deliver the word, and it is going to be awesome. You know, and so Jesus is like, okay, Bart, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, well, this is our night. You, you, you're, okay, it's great. So the crowd gathers, and... They do the big song, and it's great, and everybody's excited. Jesus gets up there, and he's like, everybody, point one tonight. If you want to follow me, despise your family. <laughs> and I just see on the front row all the disciples, oh, my, what is he doing? Oh, Jesus. Okay, Jesus, listen. Not the right message. Listen, we got a big group here. Let's give a, a happy, we can, I want this to be a big successful night. Let's try to flip this a little bit. You can handle it. It's okay. Um, maybe that blessed sermon, people really like that one. You know, <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed. We talk about that blessed sermon. That'll be a good one. Just got to rewind a little bit and, and go back and let's do this again, Jesus. And Jesus is like, all right, okay. Point two, if you want to follow me. You have to embrace the very thing that in this culture represents death, humility, pain, and embarrassment. Ugh. I don't think Jesus was in this moment. He wasn't operating in the sinker-sensitive uh, stream very well. I mean, here he is. He's got a big crowd following him. And he looks at them, and he's giving them these, these points of, of what they're supposed to do if they want to follow them. And they're not the cute, sweet points of, oh, make you feel good about coming after Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus. He looks at them and he says, if you want to follow me, what you have to do is you have to give up your life. Take up your cross and follow me. It's uncomfortable. You know, I can see that the disciples are like, listen, Jesus, I know what you meant by like the whole like despise your family thing, you know, like, but, but we'll get them there. Like in four weeks from now, right now we got to get them to like us, you know, then we'll get them to where it's like we like our family better than, or you better than them, but, but not right now. And Jesus is looking at them and said, no, no, I want people to know what they're signing up for. I want people to know that when they're coming after me, they're giving their whole life, everything they are, everything they have. I just, I love that story. About a year ago, as I was reading in my, in my just God time, I, I came across and uh, I read Galatians 2.20. It's become one of my favorite verses. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I love that verse. I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I do live, I live by faith through him. And the idea is that this isn't my life anymore. It, I've given my life to Jesus. I, I mean, these are, these are serious 
you know, the context here, crucified with Christ. You know, Jesus has said, take up your cross and follow me. See, for us, uh, I think for us, sometimes it's easy to get, uh, we kind of get metaphorical crosses. You know, not a lot of crucifixion going on in our day, so, so we, have to, we have to carry our cross. So we go to accountability group and, you know, I'm just carrying this big burden this week, heavy cross. I, I got a really mean boss at work and, uh, and I just, it's really hard for me, you know. And you're like, I got friends that make fun of me for going to prayer meetings. Or I have, you know, uh, my, 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 my burden that I'm bearing this week is that my life is so hard in, you know, the wealthiest community or the wealthiest time in history. And I, I have electricity and I have all these things. But, but my life is so hard because, man, I just am doing this Christian thing. And I, I just, right now, it's just, I can't date anybody. And that's just the cross I have to carry. That's just what I have to do right now. But when Jesus said this to these people, they knew exactly what he meant when he said, take up your cross. I mean, they watched as hundreds of people were crucified on the side of the street. You know, as they, they would see, and, and it was, it was the, the very idea of, of a cross was a humiliation and, and you know, it is breaking of bones and tearing of flesh. And, and it, was, it was to humiliate people. And it was, it was murderers being killed for, their, for, for killing people and, and it was so bad that we know that the Romans were, were highly known for their crucifixion. They wouldn't even crucify their own because it was too humiliating to their people. They would only crucify other people, other, other people groups. I mean, it was, the idea was, was a terrifying and, and, and bitter idea. That, but Jesus looked at them and he said, take up your cross and follow me. And then Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. When Christ bids a man, he bids him come and die. I think it's true. Jesus doesn't call us to come and be sweet. Come and have a good time. Come and, you know, life will be great and wonderful. And, and, and then we'll celebrate in heaven together. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And so as we're talking in, in, in a furnace context, as I'm talking to people that are, that are saying, hey, I want to I live my life for Jesus. I want to I talk real tonight. What does it mean to take up our cross and follow him. What does it mean that, that I no longer live, but I have given my life to Jesus? I have surrendered my life to him. I think there's a lot of things. I just want to, I want to hit on just a few things that, that uh, I felt like were, got the Lord placed on my heart as, as I've been praying through this verse. And I think the first thing is, is the initial thing is, is that, that we, as we don't have the right to our own time. Our time is not our own because we've been crucified with Christ. We've given up everything to Jesus, but, but we love our time. You know, we hate when people, when people waste our time, you know, and we, we say, hey, stop wasting my time. And we use the context of my time so often. But at the end of the day, all, t all life is, cons is made up of time. And so if we've given our life to Jesus, that means that we need to give him all of our time. That means that every moment, everything we do, every action is given over to him. It's, it's, it's done in a way that is, is consecrated to him. There's no such thing as my time. And so I, I think there's a couple different ways you can look at that. I think that some of us hoard our time and, and waste our time. I think some of us waste our time because we have too much to do. 
We have too many things. We fill up our schedule with things that we think are good. But, but really, it's just, we're, we're just trying to stay busy because if we, if we get unbusy, then we have to be quiet and still, and we don't like that, and, and it's uncomfortable. So we just fill up our time with, with busyness, and we just keep doing more and more things. I think others of us, I think others of us, uh, we waste time. You know, we, we feel like we have the right to, to just do nothing. I work so hard, I do so much, school so hard, you know, and consume so much of my time that I have just a little bit of free time that is my own time that I get to do with as I please. And, and, and you know, even, even here in this context, I think some of us are guilty at times of kind of saying, hey, look, I do, prayer, I do three prayer meetings a week. I do accountability. I go to church. I'm at the church like every day at least once. I mean, I give a lot of my time to Jesus. I have the right to take a little bit of time for myself. And listen, friends, I'm not trying to tell you tonight that every moment of your day has to be filled up with something. I'm just saying we need to be strategic with our time. I think we've all, we've all probably heard the quote, David loves to say, that to squander your time is to squander your destiny. I, I, I think what that's saying is to waste your time is to waste your life. Because ultimately that's all we have is time. It's the greatest currency we have. It's the thing that's hardest to ask of people because it's the hardest thing that, that, that it's the thing people don't want to give is their time. I'll tell you, just, I'll be a little transparent, a little vulnerable here. Here's one of the ways that I find that, that uh, is tempting to me to waste time. You know, for me, it comes on a, on a Saturday afternoon, and I'm, real, I'm comfortable, and I'm just like, man, it's Saturday, I, wanna, I just want to relax. And I'm like, hey, AIM, I'm just going to watch the, uh, the OU football game this afternoon, and it's going to be great. And she's like, oh, wonderful. How long is it? And I'm like, oh, only three hours. And she's like, three hours? I know, uh, that's if it's a short game. You know, that's if it's a fast pace. You know, so I, I, I go, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with me watching the game. The problem is, is that then the game gets over. And, of course, Oklahoma won because they're number one in the nation. And so they always win. And then I want to watch the, like, post-game show. And the post-game show comes on, and it's like, ooh, massive game break. Let's take you to this game that's in overtime. And I'm like, oh, hey, I got to, this game is in overtime. I got to watch this. So I watch the game that's in overtime. And I'm like, ooh, this is a good game. Oh. Aren't you enjoying this, Amy? And she's like, no. You know? <laughs> so then the overtime game gets over, and I'm like, oh, that was a good afternoon. You change channel, and oh, this game is two top ten teams. This impacts the Sooners, whoever loses. So i got to watch this game, too. It's really important that I know this. And so it's, a, it's so easy because I'm just sitting there, and it's just, listen, I'm telling you, it was awesome Brammer can uh, not... Austin Brammer used to waste so many days when we lived together watching football. It was never me. When Austin and I were roommates, it was never me that would watch football all day. It was always him. But, uh, you know, it's just so easy. And and the wasting of the time was just, for me, I I had one thing I wanted to do, but one thing bled over into a little bit more, and a little bit more bled over into a little bit more. I think some of us do it. You know, I was talking with the guys. Some of us do it with with TV. You get home from school. You get home from work, and it's like you just want to veg for a little bit. And so you just sit down and you turn on a show and, you know, show's like 30 minutes long and then it's over and you're like, oh, man, I, I'm real comfortable right now. I just, let me, I'll watch the next one. It's good. And that show gets over and all of a sudden you just watch the next one. And listen, your time, two hours gone like that, you know, just because, just because you're just wasting time. 
I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not that for all of you. Some of us, I think, uh, these, these social networks, you know, you get on the internet and you start, you start uh, MySpacing people, and because that one came first, you start that one first. So you're MySpacing people here, but then all of a sudden you're Facebooking people. And so you're MySpacing and Facebooking at the same time. And then all of a sudden you have to Twitter people to tell them that you're MySpacing and Facebooking. And, and so that's what you, and so you're kind of, you got it all, and, and you just waste hours. I got to comment on this picture here, and I got to add this application here. And I got, oh, I haven't talked to this person in so long. I got to talk to, and, and we just waste time. I'm just doing nothing. And, and so what I'm saying is I don't think inherently that watching a football game is bad. I don't think that, that getting home from a, a long day of work or school and, and wanting to just relax for a little bit, I don't think that's wrong. I, you can have friends on the internet. I, that's great. But, but what I'm saying is I think it's so easy for us to just take a little bit of time and let it drift into a little bit more, and let it drift into a little bit more, and before you know it, you've spent two hours doing nothing, and you're like, where did, where did my day go? Some of us, it's sleep. Uh, I just said, yeah. Some of us, it's sleep. Some of us, you know, like, you, you wake up, and it's like the sun is shining through your window, and you're like, oh, it's so early. You know, you look at your phone, and it's like, oh, 10 a.m. Oh, that's horrible. I'm going back to bed. You know, and we just kind of, we sleep, and, you know, I don't want to say, you know, that some of you still sleep till the afternoon, but, but it's possible. I think I know some of you that might. Little chuckles around. You know, I mean, listen, some of us, we love our sleep, you know, and so I don't know what it is for you, and I'm not trying, I don't want to try to make it up what it is for you, but I think it's so easy for us to waste our time. And, and I don't know that it's just by doing things, but I, I think that there's, there's certain ways that we can handle this. And one of the things that we've done with, uh, I know with a lot of our interns, I know that a lot of accountability groups have done this. I did this semester, I've done this with, with my guys already, is, is we want to just take a time and, and, and put out our, uh, our schedule on, on a piece of paper and just 15 minutes every day, just write it out. So that, just so that we know exactly what we're doing every day. So you start whatever time you get up and, and you just kind of start and you, you, you fill each slot with this is what I'm doing here. And, and some of that you don't get to choose. Some of it you're saying I got to be, you know, from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. I'm at two different jobs and they dictate my schedule. And so I only have a few hours to say what I'm doing. But, but you just start writing in what you're doing. And, 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 and it, even in that, I think that what that does is that helps us have a goal and have a plan. Because like I said, I don't feel like uh, some of those things that I talked about aren't necessarily bad. What happens is, is when we indulge in things. Uh, we had one guy, one time, uh, a guy who, uh, he, he actually put in his schedule on Saturdays from 1 to 3 were his ping pong hours. Those were his ping pong hours, 1 to 3. And we laugh because that's cute and funny, isn't it? It's because before he would spend five hours a day. I mean, he would all day Saturday, you know, putting, putting up the thing by himself. Not even playing someone, just boop, 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 you know, Forrest Gumping it up, you know. And, and so he just, he was just like, so he put it in, I'm going to only play for this long. And what did that do? That helped him so that, it, so that he wouldn't just, you know, play for two hours and then decide I'm going to play for two more, you know, because he had, okay, my, in my schedule, I have this time, now I'm done. And what, what scheduling it out, I'm not telling you you have to do this, but what that does, for me at least, is, is it will help, it helps me not do the things that I don't want to do and actually do the things that I want to do. So if I have it in my schedule that I'm going to get up at 8, I might not always get up at 8 to have my God time. But sometimes, more than, I, I will more than if I don't have that in my schedule. 
If I have that I'm going to, you know, go to the prayer meeting on Saturday night, you know, if I have that in my schedule, I might not always go, but I will more often than not. And so I, so I just think that it's really important because ultimately what we do with our time dictates what we do with our life. And I just, the idea that, that to squander your time is to squander your destiny is huge. We have to be proactive with our time. We have to be proactive with what we do. I don't, I don't want us as a community of people to be the kind of people that waste our days. The second thing is, uh, I feel like there's no such thing as my money. There's no such thing as my money. Now, that's a hard one because people don't like to talk about money because you work hard for that money, some of you, and some of you, your parents give it to you. You know, we work hard for that money, right? I don't think there's any such thing as my money. Why? Because I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Everything I have is his. I think the real question is, why do you spend your money the way you spend it? I think the, 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 my, the person that has most influenced me in my life in this area is my dad. And I'll just tell you a quick story, a, a money story uh, that was funny. When I was, a, when I was a junior in high school, uh, I, I made the, uh, the basketball team. Don't laugh. And, uh, and so I came home. And I was like, hey, mom, dad, I made the team. And they're like, yay, really? And uh, I was like, yeah. And so then I was like, hey, um, you know, the school provides us our uniforms, but uh, I got my jersey and my shorts and everything, but, but I, I need to buy the team shoes. I have to get the team shoes because all the team is getting the same team shoes. They're the Nike, and they're actually called team shoes. It's really cool. And so I got to get them. And, uh, and that began a three-hour-long conversation. Because, see, my dad played basketball when he was uh, much younger, of course. And, uh, and he, would wear, he wore, like, chucks, right? I mean, like, that's what you wore. And chucks, uh, chucks aren't the same price as, as basketball shoes today. So he, at first he was like, how much are they? And I was like, uh, they're this much money. And he was like, um, let's talk about that a little bit. And uh, he, he was like, so they have air pockets. And I was like, yeah. And springs that help me dunk. You know, and so, and so, you know, we talked about it, and, and, and so he asked the, the question that, I came home, and I said, hey, I got to get these shoes, and, and I knew I was in for a long night when, when he asked, well, do you think, what do you think, do you think Jesus would, would buy these shoes? And I said, absolutely, because I do not, Jesus does not want me to be an outcast, and if I don't have these shoes, I will be an outcast. I will be the only guy on the team without the shoes. So we had a long conversation the end of the night I don't purchase the shoes you know it's a lot of money for something we can get a lot cheaper and you know so I go and I'm on the basketball team and first night first game about five minutes before tip-off everybody's suiting up everybody has their team shoes I got some shoes I got a goodwill or something <laughs> not really but kind of you know I might as well have like had on the socks with the stripes and my shorts up to my chest and you know, like a headband and goggles. I mean, I was the outcast, like people pointing and laughing, <laughs> you know. I'm just like, oh, this is so lame. And I love this, I love this part of the story because uh, five minutes before the game starts and my coach walks in with, with a box, uh, a Nike box, and he comes over and he hands it to me. And uh, my dad had actually gone and gotten me my team shoes 
So I had shoes just like everybody else, but I didn't get to order them with a cheap like school discount and, and they weren't sold anywhere around where we live. So he actually had to drive downtown to like the Nike town store, take his whole afternoon to go get them, probably pay more than if we bought them before, bring them in order to get them to me in time for my game. And I just, I loved that story because I had this massive conversation where we decided ultimately, you know, maybe this isn't the way that we could spend our money more wisely. And and we talked about, is this really what Jesus would do? But then a good father likes to give good gifts. and, and, And I felt like he was just saying, I don't really care about the money. The issue is, are we doing what Jesus wants us to do or not? It's not ultimately about spending the money to buy the shoes. Ultimately, it's about whether or not this is what Jesus would do. And, and obviously, I love that story because I got the shoes. And, uh, but, you know, it just, it, it kind of, it, it was one of those things that has stuck with me as far as, I'm not talking about, like, we have to spend every dollar or, or you know, like, you only can eat at Taco Bell because you have to, that, that's the cheapest food you can buy. And so you only eat Taco Bell breakfast, lunch, and dinner all the time. Some of you are like, what's wrong with that? I do that. <laughs> What I'm saying is we need to be proactive with why are we spending our money the way we're spending it? What is our motive behind doing this? It's not really our money. I just felt like the Lord, as I was praying through, I felt like God saying, you know, Dan, there's no such thing as your time. There's no such thing as your money. Which, by the way, it makes it a whole lot easier to give when it's not yours. It makes it a whole lot easier to to give to others and to support other things and, you know, to give tithes and offerings. When it's not yours to begin with, it makes it a whole lot easier. And it's not yours because you have made the choice. You've given your life over to Jesus. So I think it's important. You know, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. Matthew six twenty four. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, we live in a culture that serves money. The culture that we live in is a money-hungry place. So for you to feel, for you to to go out and say, I'm not going to love money, there's no such thing as my own money, is a big deal. That's going to affect the way you live. That's going to affect what you do on Thursday afternoon. That's going to affect what you do. That's going to affect how you shop. That's going to affect the way you spend your money matters. The way you spend your money often shows what you care about, you know? And so I think this is an important thing. And I'm not trying to rob you of fun tonight. What I'm saying is we need to be the kind of people that ask, why am I doing this? What's my motivation behind this? Next one that I thought was, was actually a pretty interesting one. So I felt like the Lord said, there's no such thing as my calling. I don't have a calling. I don't have a destiny. What I have is the ability to participate in God's story. I have the, he, he's invited us to be a part of his story. And so ultimately, it's not about your calling. It's not about your destiny. Those things are real and will happen, but it can't be about those things. We have to be the kind of people that live with him first to glorify him. We need to, I felt like the Lord was saying, I have a plan for you. But if you seek the plan, here's the thing. So many of us want so, so much to know God's plan for our life, that we neglect knowing God. We so much want to know what God wants to do with us, and we so want to do big things and great things for God that we neglect actually getting to know Him. And I think the other thing is, is I just realized, I was, you know, we are so off sometimes in our idea 
of what our calling is supposed to be. Let me just tell you some embarrassing stories. My uh, first time I remember my, my grandma asked me, uh, I was probably six, seven years old, and she asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And uh, I gave her a straightforward answer. I said, Nana, I want to be a fireman, a pastor, or a tiger. <laughs> now, I didn't know that I couldn't be a tiger. I just said what I wanted to be. I want, and, and a tiger was a legitimate thing I wanted to be. I felt like that might be my calling. I, I, of course, grew and matured from then on. And uh, when I was a teenager, I was in, uh, one time I was in the car and we were having the same conversation. And my friends were there and, you know, my mom was talking to us about what we want to be. And I said, Mom, I want to play in the NBA. And she, and, and, and she you know, my friends laughed. And uh, she said, well, you know, Dan, I, I don't know how likely that is. I said, is that a short joke? And uh, she was like, no, I'm just saying, you know, there's 350 people that play in the NBA. There's 3 million people in this city alone. You know, the, the numbers don't really add up. It's just, I'm not saying you can't. It's just improbable. And I was like, Mom, I am five foot two, and I am making it. Muggsy Bogues did it. I can do it, too. I thought I was going to, you know, I thought I was destined to be in the NBA. Then, you know, I, I got into this kick where I was reading... Um, the book, Fox's Book of Christian Martyrs. Like, I read that every day, all the time, and, and I got fascinated with it. And so then I realized that ultimately I wasn't called to be a tiger, and I probably wasn't going to be in the NBA, but really what was going to happen was I was going to be this, like, awesome messenger for God that got martyred by the age of 21. And, and I don't know why, that's just what I felt was, I was like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be overseas, and I'm going to be martyred, and that's just the way it's going to, and I think, I, I think at the time, I thought 21 was near dead anyway, so I was like, that's probably it, you know. Let me tell you, I, I, I had a really difficult time on my 22nd birthday. I was like, what have I done wrong? I'm still alive. I'm supposed to be dead by now. I, I kid you not, I wish I was joking, but I'm not, I, I, I do, I wish, I had this idea of, of what I was supposed to be. Friends, I'm not telling you that whatever it is you feel God's calling you to is wrong. I think that plenty of times God gives us little ideas and little visions of what he's calling us to do and what he has for us, but ultimately we can't chase after those things. Ultimately, you have to let those things go. You have to seek after God and let his calling for you, let his destiny over you catch up to you. Because I have, a, I have a, this weird idea that if we chase after our calling, there's a good chance that we'll miss God in the meantime. If we chase after God, I don't think he's going to let you miss your calling. So I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be depressing here tonight. I'm trying to say, listen, seek God. Seek God first. We've been crucified with Christ, therefore we no longer live. It is him that lives in us. Last thing. Last thing is I realize God's saying that there's no such thing as my relationships. I don't have my own relationships. See, there's some of you in here tonight that you have far too many friends that are Christians. There's some of you in here tonight that you have far too many friends that are in the world. Ultimately, I'm not telling you how many of your friends need to be Christians, how many need to be in the world. I'm saying that some of us are so in, in, in this Christian bubble that we don't even know that sinners exist. Guess what? They do. Others, we so try to neglect that and so try to, you know, go be in the world but not of the world that, that we actually 
probably some of us give in to the sin of the people that we're hanging out with. So I'm not trying to tell you which way to go. I'm just saying, in the end, we have to be proactive in who you spend your time with. It has to be Christ-like logic in why you're spending your time with him. We don't have our own friends because just these are the people that naturally are attracted to me and they think I'm awesome, so I like them too. That's good and that does happen. You know, someone likes you, you're going to probably like them back. That's just the way we are. But we don't have, the, the, the reason we do anything is for Christ. So if you're hanging out with Christian brothers and sisters, it's because you yourself want the iron sharpening iron dynamic in your life. If you're hanging out with people that are non-believers, it's because you are on a, a, a mission for them to know the love of God. And there's, there's reason and there's motive behind everything. I think, if, I, I think that's true of our friendships. How much more true of the person uh, that, that we date, you know? Shouldn't we be prayerful about that? Shouldn't we think about that? Or, or you know, I, I don't really think we should just kind of Russian roulette our way through that. You know, just kind of spin and think who we show. Oh, that person works, you know? We should be prayerful about that, which ultimately is the person you marry. That's got to be someone that it, there's Christ logic behind the reason. It's not like our lives just naturally came together and we like each other and so we're going to get married. There has to be Christ logic behind it. But it's not really up to us. You know, it, it needs to be prayerfully thought through. I'm not saying you don't play a role in it. What I'm saying is that you've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, you no longer live. It's not your right to make every decision on your own. Only because you've already given it up. Now, if you're not following Christ, then you have, it's your time. It's your money. It's your relationships. It's your future. But guess what? We're the kind of people that have said, I've given my life to Jesus. Wholeheartedly, I want to follow after him. This is ultimately not about me. It's about him. I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. That does actually mean something. When Christ bids a man, he bids him come and die. Die to yourself. Die to your own wants, your own hopes, your own dreams. Every word we say, every action we do, every thought we have, we need to take it to Christ. Take every thought captive. Now, I know this isn't like fun, woo, this is great, lots of funny stories, and yeah, I'm going to walk out of here feeling so good. You know, you come in here tonight, and you're happy, and you're leaving, you're like, I don't have time, money, future, I'm depressed. <laughs> like, what, what do I have? I think Jesus answers that right after he says, right after he says, anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says this, Matthew 16, 24, Forever, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Friends, there is life to be had in Jesus that we know, we know so little about. He's saying, listen, it sounds contrary, but guess what? I came to make the, the wise things of this world look foolish. And the foolishness of this world to be wise. He's saying, come, give your life to me. Surrender your life and find it. I'll give you life. And, and so ultimately, there's, there's a freedom in you not having your own time. There's a freedom in you not having your own money. There's a freedom in you not having to worry about what your future is. There's a freedom in you being strategic in the relationships you have. And I'm not trying to say like, that, that you don't think about the future. I'm not trying to say that you don't have goals. I'm not trying to say that, that you don't have a say in how you spend your time or whatever. I'm just saying that ultimately, the ultimate question that we have to ask as a follower of Christ, the ultimate question, if you take anything from tonight, 
is why. Why am I doing this? What's the point of me going to this movie? What's the point of me spending this money? Why am I friends with this person? Why am I seeking after this college degree? Why? Because motive is everything. And if you can answer that with a Christ answer, then you're good. But if you have to answer that with, there's a hint of my own gunk in it, that's where, they're get, where it starts to get messy. And this is a process. I don't think that we're all going to walk out here tonight and be like, okay, um, I'm going to ask the question why for everything I do, and I'm going to have perfect motives from now on, and I'm going to be the like, most perfect Christian ever, and uh, I'm going to just live this way, and I've crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, and yay! Now, it's a process. It, it takes time. It's daily taking up your cross and following after Christ. Every day making that decision. And here's the thing. I think it's easy to look at this and be like, okay, listen. And, oh, by the way, I'm not saying that th these four are, are the only ones. These are the things that as, I was, as I've been praying through this verse, these are the things that, that maybe this is just a reflection of, of me. You know, like this is what I felt the Lord was convicting in my heart. I don't know what it is in your heart. I think, in, I think it'd be good for you to pray about it. God, what are the things in my life that I hold on to? You know, the, the cute little cheesy Sunday school thing of who's on the throne in your heart, you know. The, 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 maybe some of you are like, I did not go to Sunday school. I have no idea. But, but you know, maybe, maybe there's something else that you feel like you have control of and that you make the decisions and that you ultimately are, are walking in your own strength. And I don't know what those are. I'm not saying that this is an extensive list. I'm just saying these are a start and these are some things that I think... Make up life that we like to hold on to. We like to say that we believe in Jesus, but then we go and do whatever we want. So is this, is this legalistic? Is this, is this like a radical idea? You know, that's, I, I think that's what some people would think. This is, a little, this is a little bit radical. This is a little bit extreme. That's for like the, the crazies, which some of us believe that we are. And, uh, you know, I don't know. If you read in Romans 12, verse 1, it says this. I'm going to read in the New King James. I love this. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. I ask you, brothers, present your lives to God as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. You're alive every day. Sacrifice your life. By the way, this is just a reasonable thing. In reaction to God's greatness, this is just reasonable. Now, I know in your Bibles, uh, it, it says this is your spiritual act of worship. So because of that, I said, I like this word reasonable. Is it real? Or, you know, reasonable spiritual? Are those, what, what's that? So, I, I, you know, I did like a little study, and I don't want to go into it. But, but in, in, like Greek, in the Greek, the, it does translate into reasonable. And a part of that is, is a spiritual, but, but it is a reasonable act of service. The reaction to the King of kings and Lord of lords coming to earth, being a man, walking perfectly, healing prophesying, preaching, living sinless, being crucified, humiliated, and then raising from the dead, and now sitting at the right hand of the Father, and one day coming back to rule and reign forever, it 
is only reasonable that we would give everything we have. That's like the only option. It's not radical. It's not crazy. It's not legalistic. It's, it's like the only thing that we can do if we've tasted and seen that he is good. I just want to read, I want, I want to tell you the story real quick. There's a guy named Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen, some of you might have heard of this, this is not like a, this is a common story, but he was a, a mobster, a gangster in the 1940s and uh, lived in Hollywood. And he was kind of like the Al Capone of Hollywood, pretty, pretty big, pretty successful. They said that his, his outfit handled like half a million dollars a day, which in 1940 was a lot, you know, today that's a lot of money. And uh, that's like what Joe's salary, no, uh, you know, and uh, like his whole lifetime's 10. And so, uh, I don't even know if that's it. But anyway, and so like he was very successful. And, uh, and so he, he they, they was telling the story in 1949. He found his way into uh, hearing this uh, up-and-coming preacher. His name was Billy Graham. And so he went to this house to hear this preacher speak. And he heard the gospel for one of the first times. And he was interested. He didn't, he didn't like give his life to Jesus that night, but he was interested. Then some different things happened throughout his life and I, th- I think he went to jail and, you know, just kind of life wasn't going so well. And there was a guy that came to him and told him about Jesus and said, listen, all you got to do is just say this prayer after me and, and, and become a Christian. And so he kind of, he had been interested before, so, so he said the prayer. It kind of became well known, like, you know, the, the, big, the big gangster has now become a Christian. What is that going to look like? He met personally with Billy Graham for Billy Graham to explain Christianity to him. I mean, that, I think that's pretty cool, you know, and... Uh, but over time, over the next few years, his life just kind of began to disintegrate back into what it was before. It just went back to, to the same old, same old. And, and that same guy that led him through the prayer came to him and, uh, and told him, hey, you've got to change what you're doing. You can't do this. You have, there has to be a change in your life if you're following Jesus. And uh, his response was this. He said, you never told me I had to give up my career. You never told me I had to give up my friends. There are Christian movie stars, Christian athletes, Christian businessmen. So what's the matter with being a Christian gangster? He said, if I have to give it up, or if I have to give up all that, if that's Christianity, count me out. That's Christianity, count me out. Friends, that's what Jesus said to the people. He, he warned them from the beginning. He didn't try to trick them into some easy, soft gospel so that later he could tell them the real truth. From the beginning, Jesus said, you want to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. You know, this summer at Desperation, we had Leland, and they have that song, you know, Count me in. I loved it as we were screaming that. We had, you know, thousands of teenagers screaming, count me in. I love that idea. I wonder if we all really know what we're saying. What are we saying when we scream, count me in? Friends, I want us to be the kind of people that know exactly what we're saying and scream it even louder. We want to be the kind of people that scream, count me in, whatever the cost, and it'll cost me everything. But I want to be in, I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing today. So again, I know this isn't like the happy-go-lucky, yee-haw kind of talk here, but I think ultimately it is. You have the invitation to live a life alive in the creator of the universe. You, listen, if someone 
as dumb as me was in charge of my life, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Fortunately, I serve a king who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and I get to give my life to him. I think that's pretty amazing. He gets to, he, I've given him, I've relinquished him control. And that's something that we got to fight every day. We have to remind ourselves every day because he's not going to force it. And we have to be the ones that humble ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after Jesus. And that's only the, that's the reasonable thing for us to do. It only makes sense. Go ahead and stand with me. Go ahead and just stretch out your hands. I want to pray for you. Father, we commit tonight our lives to you. God, we want to have a focused life. Jesus, what that means here tonight, that means we give you our life. We relinquish control ourselves and we offer it up to you. And Father, I pray for my friends. I pray that you will give them your plans and your strategies over their life. I pray that they will walk with vision, that they will have goals, and that they will see you move. But ultimately, that you will be their goal. That it won't be about them, it won't be about their time or money or their friends, it won't be about what they're supposed to do, but ultimately it'll be about the glorification of our king, the advancement of your kingdom. Jesus, we say tonight, count us in. We sign up again today. Though tomorrow we may fail, we'll re-sign up again tomorrow. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.